What's up, Seamus? Yo, <laughs> William. <laughs> Dr. Uh, Will. I'm excited for another Goop Fellas. How about you? Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm really excited about today's episode. We'll get into it in a second, but I I met this guy on a motorcycle ride, mm-hmm. and I did not know that he was an amputee. Mm. We were riding motorcycles, and he's like riding through the desert and yeah. doing all this crazy shit. And, and, uh, and then later, we were playing a game of cornhole, as you do. And I was like, wait a second. I love cornhole. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, just, I had such a hard time. I'm a lot of fun. You. <laughs> and you, no, you strike me as a guy that likes yard games. I, I do. Yeah. Thank you for knowing that, noticing yeah. about that. I do you like remember that. yarts? No. Man, this is like the dumbest idea ever in yard games. I was a kid and I loved them. They were like the yard darts, yarts. And they were like 18 inches long and they had a four inch long, like a half pound metal spike as a tip. Yeah. And you'd throw them up in the air and they'd come spine down yes. to land inside like I, these rings you had on the ground. That's right. I do know this. Yeah. I did not they were called didn't know they were called yards. Well you so. know that they killed like all these kids because they were they're super da- I don't know who thought it was a good oh, idea man. to throw these anyway, I was playing cornhole with with uh, with Kurt and I noticed that he was only wearing one shoe and then I noticed he only had one foot. And I was like, holy shit, this guy just like blazed through the desert on motorcycles and he's only got one foot. And we started talking and eventually, you know, he told me about how he had lost his leg. And uh, and he's just, you know, a really, a really remarkable guy, super inspirational and uh, has a great story. Yeah. We are pumped to talk to Kurt Yeager today. You might have seen him on Sons of Anarchy, NCIS or the TV show Quarry. Uh, And he's also on The Village as well. Kurt started out as a pro BMX rider, got into acting, and then lost his leg in a motorbike crash. Now he performs his own stunts in his own acting roles and works as an advocate for people with disabilities. And I think he'd say his life is more fulfilling than it's ever been. And we think he's just a really impressive guy all around. Kurt isn't worried about being politically correct, so we could get really honest we talked about how he uses his disability to his advantage and how he's getting the most out of his career. Let's get to our chat with Kurt Yeager. All right. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're super psyched to have our friend Kurt Yeager today in the studio for Goop Fellas. I think you'd say that your life now is probably more fulfilling than it's ever been. And that's you know pretty impressive to hear. Yeah. And you're definitely a PC dude. You're into political correctness. Very, um, but, very politically correct. Yeah. Fuck shit, damn. Exactly. <laughs> so no, we're gonna get really honest, and um, and and I really, you know, I, I'm. There's so many things I want to talk about, but the first thing I want to talk about is these awesome cowboy boots that you're wearing. Mm. Yeah, they, came from. they are epic. <laughs> they're they're uh, Nakonas. They're a company out of Texas that makes extra wide uh-huh. uh, boots, which uh, my one foot is still wide. Does That's the other cool. foot ever get swollen? Uh, just the you mean the the one that's still here? No, I mean the other the one. other one. No, but when I go through security at the airport, I always pretend it tickles when they rub my foot. <laughs> I bet they love and they that. They laugh every single time because <laughs> yeah. they don't want to do it. I don't want them yeah. to do it, but we might as well have fun. Poor TSA, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, we met we met a couple weeks ago on a motorcycle ride, um, and I didn't even realize until after we'd been talking that I actually knew who you were. Um, which often happens to me where I, I meet someone. So I, I realized after we met that that um, that I knew who you were, but I didn't know that you didn't only had one foot, and I had no idea when we were riding on the motorcycles you only had one one foot. Yeah. And um and you know that got me thinking like holy shit, this is a guy who's just like moving on with his life despite this disability. So can you take us to 
We're going to get into bikes and everything, but can you take us to how you ended up in the situation you ended up in? Yeah, uh, I was riding home uh, one night, and uh, I took a corner that I don't remember anything to the accident. Like, mm-hmm. most of the evening's pretty fuzzy. But I hit a guardrail, a pole, and fell off a 40-foot embankment. Woke up down there with a concussion, I guess. And my left leg had basically compound fracture. I woke up face down. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, let me figure this out. Okay, wake up from the concussion. I don't know if you've ever had a concussion, yeah. but you kind of have that mm, yeah. and you're like struggling to like reset, you yeah. know, and like things How are slowly coming happen? back. Like audio comes back first, yeah. then visual, and you're like, yeah. oh, here. I know this feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I knew my left leg when I tried to move it, it was like a compound fracture because I've had that before. And then I tried to move my right leg. Wait, you'd had a compound fracture before? Yeah, I've had, yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of like I mean I was I rode BMX professionally yeah you know, so but a compound fracture is yeah you're like oh that's, that's horrible this is that, get back inside <laughs> well it's like I don't know it's the weirdest feeling because not only is your leg in the wrong position but it's also like in the wrong y axes as right. well yeah. so it's like higher than it should be and you're like mm-hmm. ah my foot's way too close to me <laughs> <laughs> go away yeah uh, so my pelvis was. Well, I tried to remove my left leg, and I didn't realize my pelvis had actually been ripped in half, so nothing worked from my waist down. Oh, fuck. And I had broke seven vertebrae, collapsed my lungs, broke all my right ribs, concussion, ACL, MCL, and my right leg, deep vein thrombosis, wow. and a bunch of other stuff. Was this so an open book fracture. Yeah. yeah. Was this in L.A.? or what? Uh, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was working on my master's in hydrogeology mm, at SF gosh. State and doing research at Berkeley. And so I was doing this whole other career path. So you weren't acting at all at this point? No. Not at all. So when did you realize the full extent of your injuries? Uh, well, I tried to crawl out, and I kind of pulled myself forward with my arms, and I felt the upper half separate from the lower half, and I knew I wasn't wow. moving. Yeah. So I don't know if in the moment I ever fully realized how bad it was, but I did know that I was bleeding out yeah. and that I was like, okay, don't go to sleep. Right. Stay awake. You know, you've seen every you know movie on the yeah. planet. So I was mm-hmm. like, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Don't go right. to sleep. And I yeah. called nine one one because I had my phone Thank on. Thank God me. you had your phone. Yeah, I'd be dead if not. Right. Um, and then, you know, got me to the hospital. And I remember one thing bad. I don't know. These are motorcycle boots called CDs, which yeah, are like yeah. really nice boots. And they have like two clasps and a yep. zipper and they only undid the upper clasp and the zipper and then pulled the boot and the whole leg felt oh, like it was tearing God. off and i was like there's another clasp <laughs> there's another clasp like that woke me up oh, wow God. so you know i remember that i remember the whole like movie thing where you know you're on a gurney and you see the lights going by but it's like flashy like that's how it was right. i was yeah. literally like oh i have to stay awake and i don't remember anything after that but the doctor uh, the main surgeon, Dr. Uh, uh, Yahoo, I think it is. Not Yahoo, but Mittenyahu. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me that I, I was pulling out the IVs and stuff and because oh, I, I was trying to tell a joke. <laughs> and he was like, no, I have to do this. And I'm like, let me tell a joke. So he's like, fine, tell this joke. And I go, but it's a racist joke. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. And I go, what do you call a black pilot? And he says, what? And I go, a pilot, you fucking racist. <laughs> and then like, he told me that that was like his, not decision, but he was like, okay, we really need to save this one. Because we we I was just like, I thought I was dead. I was like, well, I'm, right. I'm going to go out funny. Yeah. And I told the joke. I don't remember wow. doing it. But. Huh. When did you find out you were going to lose a leg? When was that 
an option. That that actually happened about a month later. Wow. Like, oh, I was so in the, you were in the hospital. I was in the hospital wow. for three and a half months. Wow. So about a month later, they tried to save it, put it together. They I can't remember what it's called, but it got comp- uh, compartment syndrome. Compartment syndrome. And then they tried to like splay the sides open to relieve the pressure. So I had like, you know, like wounds pouring oh like uh, pus and everything else yeah and then like one of the last days they were like well we can try and fuse the ankle cut some more stuff out you know do whatever or we can amputate and i go well what are the odds uh, like usage and they're like well it's like five percent if you have a fused ankle you know and i'm like mm-hmm. okay what if you cut it off what's an amput you know what's a prosthetic leg and they're like maybe 10 percent. and i was like well cut it off and they're like well we want you to think about it and i'm like look if you gave me a million dollars and you said i have to bet and 5% odds of winning is black and red is 10%. What are you going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, hack it off. And so they did. Wow. Holy crap. You, you, I've heard you talked about the stages of denial and what that's like, what that was like for you. Yeah. What, what was that like for you? Well, for me, it was really interesting because I'm a very sort of compartmentalized thinker. You know, at least I, can, I think I am. So I was able to say okay, these are the facts. This is what I have to deal with right now. I'm in the hospital bed. I have all these other injuries, and my leg's going to come off. That'll be the end of that injury. So my body can now heal the other things. I'll deal with the psychological ramifications later. And I did, you know, that's kind of, so I just said, let me just deal with this. I'm mm-hmm. here right now. And when you're in the hospital, you try and make other people happy when they show up. Mm-hmm. So I was just dealing with the pain and... Uh, sort of trying to survive. I lost 60 pounds while I was in the hospital, so I was, like, not eating for two months. Mm. Um, But I think that you kind of get into a stage of, I'm high, I'm on drugs, I'm in pain, everyone's coming to see me, let me make the best of it, but at some point my life's going to be changed. Mm Because, you know, you're in a bed, you're being taken care of. So Mm -hmm. it sucks. Yeah. But if you can just go, okay, I'm, I'm in a prison right now. I'm going to bide my time until I get out, and then I'll deal with whatever comes. Wow. And when you did get out, I mean, what was it? What was <clears throat> facing a new reality like for you? Because you came out and you're, you know, you got to get into a car. You've got to try to get home. You've got to start a life again. Yeah, I mean, the first experience was probably the most sobering and still very uh, emotional. But I was like telling the nurses, I want to push myself in the wheelchair out. Yeah. And they're like, oh, let me help you, honey. I'm like, no, I have to do this. So I got the wheelchair to my father's car. And I was like, he's like, let me help you. And I'm like, no, I got it. You know, put the locks on, pushed myself up out of the chair to try to go to the car. And I didn't even have enough strength to hold myself up. And I literally slid down the side of the car. My dad caught me. Wow. Like, that's how weak I was. Right. I couldn't even hold myself up right. on one leg. You're super positive now. I'm seeing you positive now. Did yeah. you go through depression i mean was that any a part of that no, man, process? it was great it was an awesome process <laughs> <laughs> yeah no um i mean like how how depressed because uh, we, ta- we talked about well, pain and we yeah. talked about his level of pain and i think yeah. you have a really interesting take on one to ten the pain scale yeah you know doctors go oh, what's your pain scale one to ten and for me ten is where suicide is a viable option it's literally like i'm in so much pain right i don't want to die what I need out. And so you're sitting there, you know, I mean, I was seven days of not sleeping on drugs, you know, and nothing was helping and being like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. 
I've got a shotgun under the bed. Like I should probably no, don't do no, no. Okay, think about don't. Mm-hmm. Okay, what if I just take all the pills? That no, stop thinking that way. You know, literally, right. like you yeah. are having a conversation with yourself about a way out. Wow. So that's ten. Uh, physically, psychologically, yeah, you, you definitely go through a lot of. For me, it's expressed through anger. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's an easy go-to for me. Right. But like you know. Uh, Getting up in the middle of the night and not realizing your leg is gone and you take a step and you fall into the wall because there's no leg and right. then yeah. you crash down. And now yeah. you're bleeding and you're in more pain than you just were. And now you fall into a heap on the ground being like, this is not going to be this way. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to happen to me. Yeah, I, I, Other people have those things right. happen. But then all of a sudden you realize you're human. Right. You know, like you're just as fallible and bad things can happen to you and it's, it's tumbling. How yeah. long did it take you before you, I mean, obviously there's a, it, there's a huge, huge arc of healing and, and emotional healing and all of that, but eventually you end up back on, on your feet, literally yeah. and, and on your bikes and, <clears throat> well, and a foot. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back on your foot. You end yeah. up back on your foot. I can't imagine having that taken away from me, and I and I can guess that it was very similar for you as well. At what point were you like, "Fuck this! I got to get back on a bike. I'm going to get back onto a bike." Yeah, I, I think that it was always mentally where I was. It just took a long time physically before I was able to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was it was probably six months before I even got a prosthetic leg from the date of the accident, mm-hmm. and then when I got a prosthetic leg, like. I was walking around for a month and a half, and it was murder. And my mm-hmm. prosthetist was like, "No, you're you're a pro BMXer. Like you guys are pretty tough." And I mean, we hurt ourselves for fun. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I was like, "I don't know why it's hurting. You know, it's killing me." He's like, "Let's go. Let's go to the doctor and, and get some X-rays." So I uh, went to a different doctor, and uh, this psychologically, this was probably the worst moment. But went to a new doctor. And he's like, "Let's get X-rays." And he's like, "Oh shit." Let's get MRIs. And then I okay. uh, got MRIs. And he's like, I don't know how to tell you this. So I'm just going to tell you. They cut your leg off wrong. And we're going to have to do it again. <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, are you what? I said, huh? What? And they said, well, they cut your bone off flush and they didn't carterize it. So it had been growing bone spurs out of the bottom. Oh, and I was walking around with those bone spurs into the, the soft tissue. Yeah. Like just marching around on it going like, okay, I can deal with this pain. And yeah. <laughs> couldn't. You know, it was just too much. So I was just recreating, like, hemorrhages on the inside, just cutting and cutting and cutting. Wow. And then so I had to have it re-amputated, and I was down for another three months because a hematoma developed and blew out the side of my leg. So I had to stuff, like, a, I don't know, half-inch hole with gauze and and, uh, saline three times a day. Pull it out, you know, clean out the wound, stuff it in, cover it with some gunk, and then wrap it. And three times a day, and then just wait. Dang. So, what did your support system look like here? I mean, did you have family, friends around you? Were you doing this? Oh, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much the only reason I didn't commit suicide. Honestly, it was because I didn't want to piss on all the goodwill that everyone did for me. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone listening, just listen to this one thing. If you're not listening to anything else, if someone's in the hospital, just go and visit them. It doesn't matter, but don't forget that after when they're at home, go and visit them. Because people go yeah. to the hospital, say, hey, yeah. and then forget all they about forget them two months later. Afterwards, yeah. And <clears throat> everyone's going to tell you, no, nah, I'm good, I don't need anything. Bullshit. They do, they do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. So just go over, 
hang out, you know. I mean, it's it's that's seriously what changed everything wow. for me. So I had motorcycle friends, you know, I was a part of a Ducati club in San Francisco and they raised money for me. BMXers raised money for me because, you know, I knew a lot of pros and so they all did stuff for me. The college raised money. For, like everybody helped out. My mom, my dad basically spent every night in the hospital. They're like, oh, sir, you know, like the first couple nights, sir, you know, it's it, visiting hours are over. And my dad just kind of looks at them and they, they realize, well, visiting hours don't apply to this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not so leaving. He's not leaving. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, really, really powerful support network. That's awesome. That's so important. So yeah. how did you find acting? Like you're, you're there and then somehow you... Pure dumb luck. I mean, yeah. really, like my friend put me on this website called Amputees in Hollywood that's now no more. Okay. Uh, he took a headshot of mine. He's like, oh, you should totally do this. And I was like, because I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I couldn't do the geology that I was doing. My master's, I was working on my thesis. That was going away. You know, all the research I was doing is just gone. So I was like, fine, put my headshot on there. I don't know. I, maybe I could just do something. And like two days, I got a phone call saying, hey, uh, we really like your look, you know. Do you have a big beard right now? I'm like, yeah. They're like, can you speak Farsi? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't at all, but I said, yeah. And then so uh, they sent me some sides, and I learned, I, I called around and found someone who spoke Farsi, and it's like, can you phonetically translate this? Yeah. So they mm -hmm. did, and I auditioned, and I got booked on this movie called Charlie Wilson's War with oh, Tom yeah, sure. Hanks, yeah. Amy Adams, directed by Mike Nichols. And I'm sitting there two weeks, you know, I had like a really basic, like five lines. It was nothing. Uh -huh. And I was just talking to Mike about it. He's asking me questions. And, and then I did the acting part, you know, like two or three days of it. And then we just, we went to lunch and he was just like, you know, you should do this. He's like, I've not told very many people that, but you should do this. Uh -huh. And awesome. so I kind of did it as like, it was almost denial in a way. Like yeah. there's nothing else behind me. Like, everything before didn't exist. So I'm going to do something brand new. I told everybody, I'm going to be an actor. And everyone was like, oh, you must have hit your head way harder than we thought. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, except Jessica Denning, of oldest friend, she was the only person who was like, yeah, you got this. That's awesome. The only person. Did you play an amputee? In that role? Yeah, 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 yeah. So was that... Was that kind of like the, that was, that was, you were like, okay, I've, I've got a niche that I can carve myself out into. Yeah. I thought there was going to be opportunities uh -huh. because of that thing. So then if you get an opportunity, then people look at you because then you've done a good job. Right. And the hardest thing in Hollywood is being remembered and getting an opportunity, right. you know, even just to not audition, which is even a hard thing to do, but then you get on set, a set and you do your thing. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's hard to get through that process. And yeah. just to get those basic kind of, uh, opportunity is this huge advantage, mm -hmm. absolutely huge. So, but it, it sort of jump started everything. Now it's weird. Now I feel like I have to act because uh, if we talked before we started this podcast, like I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood, and so it's safe for me to show emotions on camera. Right. It's safe to be some other character and explore something that was taught to me isn't safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard you say that, that, that acting was therapy for you. Yeah. Is it still therapy now? Do you yeah, find absolutely. Totally. I mean, like, 
I'm still finding out parts of me that are uh, flawed. Buried. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, but I've I've had, you know, recently one friend, you know, just get out of prison. And he's like, mm. yeah, man, I saw your work, bro. Really good. Like, you were really good in that show. And I was like, man, in that show, I remember crying a lot. <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, yeah, it was good, though. But like, now he can express it, you know? Yeah. And it's weird. Like, we were taught cool. as boys, you can't cry. Don't show emotion. No. Have, you know, no fear. And the reality is, like, it, it's, I mean, yeah, because it's scary to do that. It's scary. It yeah. takes a tremendous amount of courage to be comfortable enough to actually show emotion because you make yourself extremely vulnerable. And yeah. we're taught from a really early age as guys, as young boys, that if you show emotion, if you make yourself vulnerable, you'll be perceived as weak. Yeah. And, and you are. And you are. I mean, you look, totally are, I'm yeah. a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy, I think. You know, I grew up in, like I said, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I was really fat sweet kid until one day like i just had been beaten up a bunch and i was like that's it i'm gonna be a bad kid and i just started wow. fighting everybody right and just just beating the shit out of everyone from rage not yeah. from skill and then now through acting like i'm rediscovering the fat little normal kid mm -hmm. underneath all that other stuff and you're like hey this is way better i'm gonna be nice i'm gonna be a <laughs> lot nicer and then you're nice to people and like oh get out of my way and you're like whoa they think i'm weak <laughs> Wow. Wow, weird. They, yeah. So people think that men who are nice and gentle and kind are weak. Yeah. And you're like, that's the antithesis of weakness. Exactly. That's strength. Yeah. yeah. We're taking a break and we'll come right back. I've been traveling a lot lately. I'm based outside of Pittsburgh and have been in Los Angeles twice in the past month. I went out first for Goop's Wellness Summit in Goop Health. I spoke on a panel with Seamus, and I also did a few Q&As on my plant-based keto book, Ketotarian, there. And then Seamus and I went back to LA a few weeks later to do a talk with Gwyneth Paltrow, which was a lot of fun. In between, my family and my team went to Greece, which was amazing, uh, but I was also very happy just to get home and understood why my kids didn't want to travel with me back to LA the following weekend when I invited them to come with me. A lot of my patients, no matter where they're at in the world, ask me about how to eat healthy when they're on the road or just freaking busy. And I get why. I don't believe in being dogmatic or punitive when it comes to food, but it's nice to at least have a healthy option available that's also an appealing one. And this isn't always easy to find. It is getting a lot better, though, in many places, thanks to brands like Sweetgreen, which is changing the whole concept of fast food. Every day, around 95 restaurants, over 4,000 Sweet Green team members make seasonal salads and bowls from scratch using sustainably sourced ingredients. And as they continue to open new locations, a healthy lunch or dinner becomes an easier option for a whole lot more people. Sweet Green menus changes with the season, so everything is extra fresh and thoughtfully sourced, which I love. Right now, I'd go for probably the blueberry summer salad. It has chicken, organic arugula, shredded kale, and a blueberry vinaigrette. To find a sweet green near you or the next city you're visiting, head to sweetgreen.com. And if you're ordering online, download the Sweet Green app, which makes it super easy. You'll also earn rewards with the app, like free greens, which is amazing, if you ask me. Head to sweetgreen.com. Now, back to today's chat with Kurt Yeager. So you do you do a lot of work. Obviously, you, you work with a lot of um, other folks who are are, uh, are disabled and challenged athletes. You work with the Challenge Athlete Foundation. Um, but I was really fascinated. You were telling me about your work in in Puerto Rico after the hurricane, 
And I was totally blown away by what you guys are doing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I work with a great charity called Motorad Angels. And um, the charity is amazing because what we do is we go into places where cars and trucks can't go to, and we install water filtration systems. We bring mm-hmm. in food, supplies. You know, we do recon in in Puerto Rico specifically. We did recon for um, the National Guard, so they were like, "Hey, we haven't been really to this region." We're like, "Okay, well, we're going to go in there and bring in, you know, uh, saws, you know, chainsaws, and mm-hmm. like cut our own paths and go in there and figure out, and then we'll tell you what we found." So it was it was pretty brutal what was happening there. But, I mean, we found this one 80-year-old lady who actually had to lock up her daughter who had schizophrenia because she couldn't have, she didn't have access to the drugs oh, anymore. Yeah. And it had been three weeks. And, you know, when we saw her, she was, you could see she was strong, right? This mm-hmm. strong 80-year-old lady. And after about just 45 seconds of like, we're here to help you. And she and just, just collapsed down. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, okay, this is real. Yeah. You know, it got real fast. That's amazing. And you guys are also, you've done work in Africa as well. Yeah, right? we've done work in Africa. Uh, we got people in Saudi Arabia. We got, uh, we've done stuff in Colombia when the Mexican uh, uh, earthquakes hit in Mexico City. We had people there. Uh-huh. So what we do is we utilize motorcycle clubs all over the world to say, okay, we've got 50 people everywhere in mm-hmm. every single club. So we just start making chapters everywhere. And then we mm-hmm. can just go ahead and say, hey, do you guys need filters? We're going to send them to this group and the group will go out. We might have one or two guys from Motorrad Angels kind of go and make sure it's going right. Mm-hmm. But instead of having to, you know, mobilize 30 people to fly from America to go to mm-hmm. another country. and No, no, no. Just two guys yeah. can go there with all the equipment and get 30 locals who now can help themselves. Yeah. And it, but it's all guys who ride motorcycles who are generally, you know, people who are stepping outside of normal parameters anyways. Right. So you got guys who are like, yeah, I can help. And then right. motorcycles, low fuel, easy to get around. It's so it's the best vehicle to, to do that. That's with. awesome. Yeah. What compels you to be that involved and give back like that? Guilt. <laughs> <laughs> I've received a lot of good stuff, you know, for over the years. And it's maybe it's not pure guilt. I mean, my dad was really, really good to me. There's that, and then when the accident happened, I had a lot of help from a lot of different people. But the more you do it, when you do it the right way, the more you're like, I'm getting a lot out of this too. Do you know what I mean? Like my world travels where I'm not going from like five-star place to five-star. I mean, like in Africa, we spent a month there literally tenting everywhere. Mm -hmm. We went to South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Zambia. And, you know, like 80% of it was in a tent. Well, that made me really understand that we have, at least in America and most of the Western world, water that comes out of a wall in your house Mm -hmm. that you can drink. Yeah. Like, I couldn't have empathetically understood that. So you've gotten back on the bicycle, too. Yeah, yeah. I invented a magnetic pedal, so my prosthetic leg would kind of be stuck to the bike without Mm -hmm. being locked in. I uh, went to the X Games, first wow. BMXer with one leg to do a backflip. You know, I can no still way. do like tail whips, 360s, truck drivers, a lot of other tricks. I heard you say uh, in research for this conversation we're having is that there's two types of motorcycle riders, ones that crash and ones who will. Yep. And you guys met on a ride. Yeah. I'm interested, the severity of your injury like you going back there, what is that like? What's the relationship now with the bike versus before? I mean, I ended up uh, fixing my bike probably a year after my accident, 
went around the block, did a wheelie down the street, and then put it away for another year and a half because I wasn't psychologically ready to do it, but I needed to go, I will get right. there, yeah. but I'll come back to it. Right. Basically, every time I throw my leg over the bike now, I go, <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, <laughs> and then go. Yeah. So I have this tenacious will that's just going to do it anyways. Same way like acting, like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can do this role, but I'm going to do it anyways. So it's like the more you push through fear, the more mm -hmm. you push through that stuff, the more you realize it's really a demon that's not as big as you think it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you have that grit before the accident? or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've always had. like I asked my dad when I was young, what's the difference between me and my two older brothers? <laughs> He's like, you know, when we would all wrestle... When they would get hurt, they were done. When you got hurt, you would cry and run back, and then you'd come back for more because yeah. you wanted to win. Yeah. So wow. I think it was because I had two older brothers, eight and ten years older, and yeah. then we all rode motorcycles mm -hmm. together, and I had to keep up and keep up. So it was something that happened where I was like learned how to be just tenacious. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's – most of the time it's good. But, you know, you can be over tenacious. Yeah. Like, I can be pushy. I had the – <laughs> you know, after my motorcycle accident I – had, I had a motorcycle accident in 2002 – and broke both my legs and both my arms, my back, and a bunch of other shit too. Damn, not nearly as severe as you, but you just to said like... you broke everything. How is that not <laughs> but, as severe? <laughs> but it was. Um, I can relate to my left leg was spun around, so I can relate to from the knee down, look, looking down and saying this doesn't make sense. Yeah, but I think uh, for me it was really cathartic to be able to actually get back on the motorcycle and kind of prove to myself that I wasn't going to allow the circumstances of my life to determine. Uh, the trajectory of my life that I actually had to take ownership over it. Exactly. And I think that's what great pain, suffering, trauma really teaches you is like there's, if you actually fight back and you win, you're like, all right, it sucked. Mm -hmm. It was horrible. Yeah. I don't ever want to do it again, but I learned so much from it. Right. I gained so much insight, knowledge, depth, mm -hmm. you know, and now you're... You know, the people who seem to go through the most trauma a lot of times and deal with it seem to be the most deep souls, right? You know, yeah. they seem to just know things and be like, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's required almost if you're going to be a deep thinking human. You, mm -hmm. you have to. And also to really appreciate yeah. what we have because you don't really, you know, as the great Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. And when you when you actually realize you see it slip away there's a complete different level of of appreciation for everything that we do have. Yeah. Did, did the accident change your perspective on spirituality at all, your soul, your mortality, or maybe immortality at all? Um, I don't know if it changed it at all. You know, I, I, I think it just reinforced it, I guess. I don't know if it changed it. You know, I definitely prayed and was like, hey, if you help me out with this, I'll also help you out. You mm -hmm. know, like, cool. Like, God Negotiating. help. Yeah. yeah. I'll be on your team now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, you know, what it did do in a spiritual way was it significantly made me more humble. It made me more empathetical to weakness because, you know, I mean, I was a professional athlete, probably top one percent of athleticism mm -hmm. in the world. You know, you do double back loops over a forty foot jump. <clears throat> you you kind of have to have something physically. It all has to work mentally. It all you know you have to have the ability and all of it to come together. Hey, can you juggle? Yeah, sure. Hey, can you ride motorcycles? Yeah, sure. Hey, can you play basketball? Sure. It just all came right. naturally. So when I was like, well, why don't you just try? It didn't connect that. That's not 
just easy for some people. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think it made me go, do you know as much as you think you know? Because mm -hmm. clearly you don't. You know, and I was like, so it gave me a better perspective. Got it. That's amazing. Thanks so much for joining us and Kurt Yeager today. You know, what I really love most about his story is how extreme version of taking lemons and making lemonade. Yeah. He completely pivoted and changed his life. And still within doing that after his accident, he didn't lose touch with the extreme athlete that he'd always mm -hmm. been and kind of continued to do that in a, in, in a different capacity as an, an adaptive athlete. But, you know, he continued to live his life. And I just think that that's really, you know, that's very inspirational. Yeah, it's interesting and fascinating that he is just as much an advocate, but through his acting, like he's raising awareness of people with disabilities and, and getting people with disabilities to see the, their potential, uh, yeah. not as a limitation, but as just a, as like a different approach. Yeah. You can follow Kurt on social or check out his site, kurtyeager.actor. It's Kurt spelled K-U-R-T, Yeager spelled Y-A-E-G-E-R. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, guys, it's time for another edition of Ask Me Anything. Today, Derek asks, I'm told that I need to meditate, but every time I try to, I feel like I suck at it. Well, I would say this. From a functional medicine standpoint, because that is a tool that we use a lot in functional medicine. It's not just food and natural medicines and labs. It's also this non-food stuff that impacts our physiology that you don't have to be a master at it. It's not something that's the mind and the ego actually uh -huh. telling you you're failing at it. So the practice of it is just being in the present moment, focus on your breath, do something that anchors you in the present moment. So something that Eckhart Tolle, the author uh, and meditation expert, I guess you could call him, says is things like uh, bringing breath awareness, mm -hmm. present moment awareness, just being mindful of your surroundings, something he calls the inner body awareness, which is just really feeling the aliveness of your body. Those are ways to anchor you in the present moment. But then if you find if your thoughts start wandering off, don't judge it, don't Mm -hmm. Don't say you're a failure. Just bring your awareness and attention back to your breath or whatever you're focusing on the present moment. So you're, you're not failing at it. And the people that say meditation isn't for them, they're typically the people that need to do it even more. It's because they're race, it's a racing right. mind and obsessive thoughts. That's why we need to do meditation. But look, for some people, meditation is exercise. Some people, meditation is not just what we're thinking of meditation. It can be a physical mm. activity too. anything that gets you in the flow state in the present moment. Can you answer that question again, but with Eckhart Tolle's voice? <laughs> <laughs> I love his voice. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's very calming. You know, do you ever do box breathing? I don't, but tell, tell well, us about it. So this was, to me, a really easy introduction to meditating and to breath work. And it was like visualizing, because I'm a very visual person, closing my eyes and visualizing my breath in the shape of a box. So essentially, 
I would do it with a three count. So I'm breathing in for three seconds on a three count. And then I'm keeping my lungs full for three seconds. And then I'm breathing out for three seconds. And then keeping my lungs empty for three seconds. And just imagining that is like I'm drawing the four lines of a box with my breath. And yeah. I found that visual to be really helpful to the point where, you know, when I was commuting a lot in New York City on the train, I would take time on the subway to just kind of close my eyes and do 10 minutes of box breathing uh, on my subway ride. And I would become completely unaware of where I was and I would invariably miss my stop. But <laughs> the one thing that would happen is that I wouldn't be stressed out about missing my stop because <laughs> my go. cortisol levels wouldn't be through the roof. That's but awesome. That was just a very simple for me um, yeah. uh, little hack for getting getting a little bit better at, at the practice of I meditation. I love it. Box breathing. And also there are many apps out there that people can download that make it very simple and they're guided yeah. meditation. So things like Headspace, Calm, there are other apps out there where if you want sort of an intro to meditation to give you some tools, that's another idea. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.